Welcome to a public lecture podcast from the University of Bath. So the talk is the talk that I've written is actually much more about the the idea of kind of migration and uh, the kind of the dreams and the aspirations, as Annette just said, of uh, first generation Caribbean migrants who came to England. Um, I'll just say a little bit about myself and my research generally. Um, I've been working over the past five years on work that is about contemporary black British playwrights. So that's predominantly second generation playwrights. So playwrights like myself who were born in Britain, educated in Britain and are writing plays that are about that experience of um, living in Britain, living in Britain as diasporic subjects. And it's my contention that when we look at plays, any play, that actually they are social documents of their time and that we can use plays to access particular historical moments. And so what I've been doing in my work is, my first lot of work was on black women's theatre in the 80s and it was looking at how uh, those women uh, dealt with the concerns that black women were um, anxious about or worried about in the 1980s and dealt with uh, issues around black female sexuality and black female identity and then the more recent work has been looking at plays that are from the new millennium uh, and they're plays that are mainly looking at second and now third generation uh, identities in the UK and third generation experiences in the UK Um, and a lot of these third generation plays are, are very much focused on dreams and aspirations actually they're focused on uh, how the current generation of black male youth primarily um, negotiate their identities in the UK um, and the choices that are open to them. And in those plays, uh, a lot of the choices, it seems to be, it seems to me, seems to be about the choice as to whether to have an education and a conventional career or deal drugs. And that's the very, very contemporary plays, there's this kind of split between the convention and the criminality. And it seems to me that when we trace back the history of uh, black British playwriting, that we see this tension come up again and again. Tension between uh, having a conventional life or uh, a, a criminal life. And this question of choices and aspirations, I think we can kind of map back to the yard plays. Um, so the issues that we that we see in the, the, the contemporary plays aren't new, basically, is what I, what I want to say. And they find their roots in the plays, the yard plays that were written about the, the uh, immediately after the Second World War. Um, I guess what I'm saying is that each new playwright, each new generation of black playwrights writes about their own um, experiences, and I feel that if we look at the plays by first-generation playwrights, we can kind of tap into a particular historical moment in time, and we can learn quite a lot about the experience of migration, if you like. Um, of those plays, um, there are several playwrights. There's Derek Walcock, Mr. Matura, as well, who were writing about Trinidad primarily um, in the immediate post-war era. And of those playwrights, probably the most revived play is Errol John's Moon on Arabian Shore. Now, I haven't seen this current production. I saw the production in 1988, which was directed by Maya Angelou. Um, I also know that it was, a, it was revived when the Eclipse Theatre Company were founded in early 2003. And they were a company that were founded particularly to respond to uh, the need to see in middle-scale theatre more representation of black British experience uh, and their opening play was Moon on a Rainbow Shore. So I've been quite struck by just the the sheer number of times that this play has actually been uh, revived. Uh, Those of you that saw the production and bought the script, I think it has four revivals in there from its original production in 1958 through to the National Theatre Tallowa production which was on at the National 2012 and then it's been touring uh, this year. Um, and I've wondered, like, why do they? Why is it that this play keeps being revived when there are so many other new plays that, that could be produced? And I think it is that that uh, uh, that thing about the way that Errol John taps into a particular 
moment in time, a particular experience um, of first-generation Caribbean migrants. Um, <clears throat> and that, I would say, is why this play, I think, has become a kind of a classic. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about some of the themes in the play, play, and I'm going to also then go on to compare Errol John's Moon and a Rainbow Shore with Winsome Pinnock's A Hero's Welcome. And Winsome Pinnock is like me. She's a second-generation playwright. Um, and so she was writing in the late 1980s, mid to late 1980s. And what she did is she revived the Yard play format in order to access uh, the experiences of the first generation, the post-war experiences. Um, and so I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the uh, generic characters that come up in these plays, a little bit about the stage setting and the way that uh, the stage setting kind of tells us about the experience of those uh, characters. Um, and then a little bit more about that kind of thing about, you know, what is lost and what is gained by migration, by migrating to England. And I guess I'm particularly interested in that because I am the child of migrants. Uh, so my, my parents came to the UK in 1962 and they were just 19. Um, so, and that to me now just seems <clears throat> a very, very young age to, to up sticks and uh, travel seven or 8,000 miles across, across the world. And when I started to research this talk, I realised that actually there's, we don't know that much about that generation of people. We know a lot about what happens once they arrived in the UK um, and, and about their, their experiences here, their early experiences here of racism and so on. And we know, theatrically, we know quite a bit about my generation and we're beginning to know more about the third generation. But there's not that much that has really portrayed what, what propelled that move. Um, and there isn't that much research on even this play, actually, given that it's a classic. There is, there is not that much research out there on this play. So I spoke to my parents, my parents and my step-parents, because I thought, I, I need to access um, something of that. And it's, it's an experience that's kind of alien to me, because I was born here and I, was, I grew up here, um, and I was educated here and so on. And the one thing that... They all kept emphasising uh, when I asked them, why did you come? Why did you stay? What would my life have been like if you hadn't have come? Who would I have been? Who would you have been? You know, you came at 19 um, and so on. And the one thing that they emphasised was uh, lack of opportunities. Okay. Now, my parents actually came towards the end. So 62 was kind of... The Caribbean countries were starting to gain in, get their independence from Britain. I think Jamaica got independence in 62. Barbados, which is where my parents are from, got independence in late 1966. Okay, so they were sort of towards the end of that. And my parents, therefore, came here with jobs already arranged for them. Okay? Uh, so my mum came to train as a nurse and my father came to drive buses and the jobs were, were here and ready for them already. My stepfather, on the other hand, who came from Jamaica, at exactly the same time, but he came kind of just tra chasing a dream, really. because He came because he felt that he needed to get out of Jamaica because if he stayed in Jamaica, his life would have been uh, limited. And I think it's it's the kind of lack of opportunities, the limits for people that, that stay uh, living in the yard, if you like, um, that, that, which is what I think uh, Errol John's play taps into. And I think the yard play as a genre, if we're going to consider it a genre, is a, it's a particularly useful one for accessing uh, those kinds of experiences. Um, there are plays that are similar to the yard play, I guess many of you may have seen, I don't know, Arthur Miller's All My Sons, which is kind of a yard play, um, if you like. Um, a lot of August Wilson's work, he's an African-American playwright who writes plays that are set on the stoop or set on the veranda. So they're set on this kind of the, the, the front yard of a, of a family home. Um, 
And often these plays are dealing with kind of the experiences of poor poor people, people that are that are living in um, fairly simplistic um, in a fairly simplistic environment and fairly um, basic, if you like, uh, lives. Um, but as a genre, uh, the yard play is particularly kind of theorised in terms of being about Caribbean experience, the experience of the Caribbean yard. And one of the things that is particular to the Caribbean yard play is that it's, as you can kind of see here in this picture, it, it, it's a yard around which several families live. Okay, and the yard becomes the kind of meeting point. So there's one person's house there and there's another person's house there. So that's slightly different from um, the August Wilson type play, which would be the yard of a single, a single family. Um, <clears throat> and their setting in the yard is the, the use of the yard format, I think, is a way in which we can really, um, the stage setting really kind of demonstrates the kind of the poverty and the, the poorness of the, the people. So they're often kind of dry dirt, uh, corrugated iron roofs. You might just about be able to see that in that picture there. Um, to another picture that I've got to really try and show you it. Uh, that one there. This was a production in uh, the USA. And you see, you know, houses built of, built of, of, of wood, barrels, people doing manual tasks out in the yard, so washing, hanging up there, and um, basins usually that they that they wash their clothes in. So there's a kind of a kind of sense of a of a very very uh, basic basic um, existence. And Moon on a Rainbow Shore within that genre is often taken as the kind of the, the prototypical. Uh, yard play. So it's one in which um, there's one article that has dealt with this. Uh, the writer is called Judy Stone and it's in a book called West Indian Theatre. And the way that she describes the yard play is that she said that it's, it's lots of families living in what she calls forced intimacy with each other. So, um, so these families all kind of share like, the, the meeting point which is the yard that kind of connects to their, to their houses. Rarely do we see the insides of their houses. So uh, Errol John's uh, Moon and Rainbow show is slightly different because there is a scene in the play, isn't there, where um, we see one of the characters in his bedroom looking out at the people in the yard. But that's quite rare for yard plays. Generally, they kind of focus on the kind of the grit and the dirt and the, the kind of the dust outside. And in that sense, I think they're kind of distinguishable if we put them back into their 1958, their kind of original context, they're distinguishable from the, the conventions of the kitchen sink theatre that was focused on the kind of domestic interior, and these were focused on the kind of the exterior spaces. I think that's quite interesting. Um, and they were also kind of very different from the drawing room comedies, I guess, the drawing room plays that had preceded them. Um... um yeah, and so I think that's that's quite interesting. And I think that the, the organisation of space really emphasises simplicity and poverty. And again, I, I would talk about the experience of my parents compared to the experiences of people who did not leave Jamaica. So my father now lives in Jamaica in what some people would consider a mansion, actually, six seven-bedroom house, double garage, gated fence, uh, solar panels, all the mod cons, tiled floors, etc., um, etc. Et you kind of, you know, velvet curtains, pictures of his graduated daughters on the wall, all of that sort of stuff. And when you compare that to the way that m many of the people live who have not left, many of the people live in corrugated iron houses, holes stuffed with newspaper and so on. So there's a real gap between uh, those who stayed and those who left and have returned, I think. Um, in Jamaica in particular, uh, maybe less so in Barbados because it's a, a smaller island, but Jamaica still has very much what are known there as shanty towns, so towns that are, that are literally... Uh, 
like the favelas in uh, Brazil that we've been seeing about on the TV recently, that are literally yard on yard on yard. Um, and so therefore, uh, I've lost my place here because I skipped through it. Um, and so therefore, if we go back to um, the idea of why our parents came, and, and the ways that these plays tap into questions about why people might choose to leave, it really is in order to try and get a better life, to, to have a better life for yourself and for the generations that will come after you. Okay. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about the characters in the R play as a way of kind of then moving on to talk specifically about the two plays that I'm going to speak about. Um, so Judy Stone's article is quite comprehensive. As I said, it's the only article that exists. And she identifies a set of characters that she sees as typical to the genre of the yard play. Um, she says there's the Earth Mother, the prostitute and her American client. And I think it's quite important that it's an American client. I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, later on. Uh, there's the young bachelor. So there's a young bachelor who's burning with ambition. So uh, for those of you that have seen uh, Moon on a Rainbow Show, we might um, attribute that to Ephraim. Even though he's sort of in a relationship with uh, Rosa, he's still someone, he's burning with ambition, he wants to leave, he wants to leave the island. And then there's the older man who's failed, so, and, and the older man who's failed, and therefore he, he's, in her words, turned to drink, so he's, he's, he drinks a lot. So that we might ally that with the character of, of Charlie in this, in this play. And then there's the innocent girl on the threshold of the adult world. So that would be the next generation in this play again. It's the, the character of Esther. So she's the, the child who has the opportunity to go and study um, and to continue her studies at, at high school. Um, but because her father, Charlie, isn't working, they, they, they're not sure whether they'll be able to afford it. So she's won this scholarship, but they're not sure whether they'll be able to afford it. And then the inquisitive neighbour. Probably that would be Sophia, who's the kind of central character in the play, who observes the business, if you like, of everybody that, that lives on the yard. And this kind of range of characters enables a, a kind of cross-generational assessment of the conditions in which they live, um, and a cross-generational assessment of the hopes, the hopes of the young girl compared to the hopes of the the older man who has failed and is now drinking. And Judy Stern also identifies that the Yard play was a play that was written with a strong kind of moral sense underlying it. So she, she describes it as a, quote, an unspoken outrage at the conditions in which people were forced to live, an admiration for the strength and courage with which, in their different ways, they cope, and a compassion for the compromises that they have to make. Um, but one of the big things is that in order to improve their lives, in order to better their lives, the characters need to leave. So the yard is kind of perceived as a, a trap, which I've also thought uh, to be something quite interesting in terms of the organisation of space, because I've thought about the yard play as a kind of opposite to the kitchen sink, dramas I've already mentioned. And my kind of sense is that when you have plays that are set in interior spaces, indoor spaces, that actually they're much more kind of confined and limited. And, and that actually the, the idea of being set in an outdoor space should be that, you know, you've got the freedom, you've got the freedom of the, of the world and the sky and the, and the, um, the sea and everything. But actually the, the organisation space in the yard play with these households on top of each other, it's kind of emphasising actually that it's a... It's as confined as those interior spaces, so it's, it's kind of a trap. And we hear this quite a lot, don't we, in the Errol John play, that various characters at, at different points in the play refer to it as a, you know, I need to get out, I feel trapped, I don't want to be trapped here, um, Ephraim says. Um, he also talks about the idea of, you know, if she, she, his girlfriend is pregnant, I feel like I'm, she's trying to trap me. So the idea of the space as a kind of trap comes up again. Um, and it's their dreams, I think, that makes, makes it bearable for them. And everybody in Moon and a Rainbow sure has a dream, right? Uh, Sophia um, wants to find a better place for her family to live. Um, she wants to leave the yard. 
her dreams are kind of hindered by the fact that Charlie uh, isn't working or isn't in regular employment, uh, and therefore they don't they don't have they don't have very much income. Um, Esther has won the scholarship, so she's got a dream. She's got a kind of aspiration to to better herself. Again, it's hindered by by Charlie's uh, lack of income, and even. Uh, Mavis, who is the kind of the archetypal yard play prostitute, she also has a dream. There are, she dreams of being married, of belonging to someone, of being made. I think she says in the play, uh, "I want to be made, be made a respectable woman." I'll be able. To, she gets engaged in the play, and she, there's a real kind of thing. She's going around singing, "Here comes the bride," dum 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 humming it, and and feeling like, you know, this is this is a way in which I can be made into a respectable, respectable woman. But in this play, it's Ephraim's decision to leave the island that is the one that is the most focused on. And I think it's the one that we can use to think about the connections between the representation of that experience and the real experience of of migrants. Um, Ephraim, for me, kind of represents the, the many, many young Caribbean men, actually, in particular, who were faced with the choice of either staying in the West Indies or leaving. And for that, when I'm talking about that, I'm talking about the the very, very first migrant. So I'm going back to the 1948 moment, the the Windrush, SS Empire Windrush that arrived, actually, what was it, 22nd of June, 1948, so almost 66 my maths isn't very good, but almost six, six years ago, I think, um, bringing with it a group of mostly Jamaican men. I think it was about, about just under 500 passengers, and it was mostly Jamaican men. Um, some from the other islands as well, but mostly Jamaican. People who were leaving behind everything that they've known, their family, um, to try and start new lives. And Ephraim really is someone he wants to move to Liverpool because he feels that if he stays in Trinidad, he will stay in the mundane job of being a, an unpromoted trolleybus driver and that his opportunities for wealth are very, very limited. Um, and it's really, really worth, I think, emphasising the youth of these people some of them had barely left school when they, when they were leaving for England. Um, and I guess there's a kind of... Well, a desperation isn't really the word that I want to use. And almost like the move is, is necessary. So those people that chose to move, the move, is, the move is a necessary one. And for Ephraim, the move seems to be a necessary one. It seems to be the only way in which he can have a life that is not limited by the environment in which he's currently living. And the fact that, that even though his partner or girlfriend or uh, lover, not quite sure in the play, even though she's pregnant and about to bring the next generation in, he still is kind of adamant on leaving. And I just want to give you a few quote, a quote from the play where he kind of sums that up, and I think it's really quite poignant. He says, listen to me, Rosa. I got a life to live, all right? So I stay here, I come and inspect on the trolley. To what end? Turn Mako like the rest. Stand at a bus stop, hop on a trolley, check the tickets, hop off the trolley. To what end, Rosa? Just so as to see the conductors don't rub the blasted city corporation. That is not for me. Outside, somewhere in the world, I feel for, for, for certain sure it got more for me than that. I think that's quite, quite something that that kind of sense that even though it's separating him from his child, which was, was again, a, a reality for, for many uh, people who came to England to make money, were sending back money for their, for their, fam- for their families um, and to bring up their, their children. But it also created a kind of a separation, a split, a fragmented, a fragmented family. And I think that when we think about it in those terms, we, we, we can feel that... They must have believed that there was something to be gained and that there was more to be gained than lost through migration. And Ephraim, I think, really, really kind of sums that kind of sense up that 
if I move to Liverpool, there is something that I can gain. If I stay here, um, I won't progress in life. Um, and his kind of main fear is that if he, if he stays there, he'll end up like Charlie. So he will end up growing old and turning into the man who was, whose, whose dreams were shattered and who was, th- was therefore a layabout and not really doing much of his life and, <clears throat> and um, is just drinking, drinking his days away. And so there's a kind of sense, again, of the kind of mundanity of lives there um, in the yard in the West Indies. Um, and that there are kind of few opportunities for them to, to, to build careers. So, you know, for those that came to England, there was people that kind of came here that got hooked into a career path. So not just a job, but a career path. And um, I keep talking about my father, but hey, he drove buses. So he came here and he drove buses. But there was very much a sense that when you were an inspector in England... So where Ephraim kind of dismisses the idea of being an inspector there as, as a kind of nothing. But here it was like, you're an inspector on the buses in England, that's progress. And then up through the, up through the ranks if you want to. Um, but then we have the opposite voice. So we have the voice of Sophia in the play. And... Uh, Sophia is the, the, the voice that kind of represents this idea of wanting progress, but wanting progress for and within the Caribbean. So in her, in her view, uh, migrating to England is not the way to improve the lives of, to improve their lives. In her view, what we need to do is we need to stay here in the Caribbean. Yes, leave this yard but stay here in the Caribbean and actually improve, the, improve our lives within the, within the Caribbean. Um, I'll just try and find my, my place. Yes. So Sophia says to him, you're a fool. God, you're a fool. You have a future here and you're shoving it aside. For what? To go off where? What's wrong with Alia? Ephraim, I born and grow up in this Trinidad. I see it change. I see things opening up, making room for young people, young people like you. What in heaven name this place you run into have for you? Sorry, I didn't read that very well. It's because I'm second generation. I can't do it. Um, but yeah, what in heaven name this place you have, you have, what in heaven name this place you run into have for you? So there's a kind of sense that surely we should be working to build up what we've got here. But actually, this, this kind of thing of wanting to leave is where we should place the play within its post-war, or within its wartime context, actually. Because in the war, many, many or some black men had the opportunity to leave the island. So they had the opportunity to leave their lives um, in the yard or whatever lives they had, to leave the island to go to come and be part of the, the war effort. And... Uh, that therefore exposed them to experiences, um, experiences that they would not otherwise have been exposed to, which changed their aspirations. I think it kind of, I would suggest that it kind of altered their aspirations. And so I think the kind of backdrop of uh, Moon on a Rainbow Shore, its backdrop is the celebrations that, that we hear in the distance um, of the troops. Uh, who are returning from the war. Um, and then within the play, there's the, the character of the American soldier who somehow seems to have a liberty that, that the characters that live in the yard don't, don't, particularly, don't particularly have. He has resources. He's able to pay, uh, pay the, the prostitute. When she questions him about whether he's got enough money, he says, I'm loaded. I'm loaded. I'm one of, there's a kind of sense of a world o- over there in which... We can we can have a better game than the world that we're we're living in, um, and there's a lot in the play, isn't there, about the, the Yankee dollar? That, you know, some guys they say we're going to go down there and play some play some music because there's a Yan- there's the Yankee dollar to be to be made. So that that kind of thing of kind of hustling the tourists, if you like. Um, but Esther, not Esther, Sophia is cynical about this. And it's worth thinking about her cynicism and the way that that 
invites us to kind of question migration, if you like. And that will kind of build into um, me talking a little bit about Winston Phoenix Pay in a moment. But Esther's cynicism, I think, is captured at two or three moments in the play. Sophia's cynicism, pardon, is captured at two or three moments in the play. And they're captured when her daughter, Esther, is, at one point she's singing Land of Hope and Glory, and the mum the mum says, Land of Hope and Glory, Tch, be quiet, stop singing that, the baby, the baby needs to sleep. And then at a later point in the play, uh, we see um, Esther, the young child, wearing the Union Jack, flag she's wearing there's a bandana and again the mum sort of says to her uh is it a flagpole you're playing or what take that damn stupid thing off your head and i think that they're two quite interesting moments in terms of the play's relationship to this world beyond the yard particularly to england because although um the reasons that she gives for telling the child to stop singing land of hope and glory or the, the way that she tells her to take the bandana off her head are kind of quite literal, practical things. So, you know, the baby needs to sleep, stop singing that song. But there's also, for me, a kind of implicit critique of the, the kind of symbolisation of the flag or the symbolisation of the, the song as well. Um, and so I think that that's quite interesting. Um, and that kind of taps in for me to Winston Pinnock's play a little bit. Because I think she was writing in 1989, this play, um, and it was called A Hero's Welcome. And it basically revives the Yard play format in order to um, kind of explore migration, the migration of the characters. But I think because she was writing at a distance from it, so she was writing a play that was set in 1947, so just one year before the, uh, the Windrush arrived in London, but she was writing it in 1989. She was writing it as a second-generation playwright. And I think that her distance from it uh, means that she offered much more of a critique, actually, or criticism, I guess, of, uh, of my migrating, and much more of a criticism of, of what it meant to kind of come to England in the, the late 1940s. Um, so her play, A Hero's Welcome, um, has many of the same sorts of characters as Earl John's play. There's the, the, the character who wants to migrate to London um, and feels his life would be better, so we ally him with Ephraim. Um, there's the old, old man who's uh, drinking. Uh, but what's interesting about her play is that she focuses much more on the female characters. So again, um, I think the distance, the distance from the 1940s and the fact that she's a, a woman playwright meant that she focuses much more on three women who are trying to get out of the yard. They're desperate to get out of the yard. The way that they think that they can get out of the yard is by, one, by getting married, two, by getting an education, and three, by moving to England. Um, so the England kind of in both plays I would kind of say represents that kind of off the off stage the off stage other other place the, the wider world and compared to Errol John's play the World War II backdrop is much more present in Pinnock's play and a kind of sense that the war um, had a, a a clear kind of impact on the islanders' mentalities and that there was a clear difference, I think, between those that stayed and those that had ex left and had experienced the world off the island. Um, and in a way, she's kind of... Her play is one in which we could... Probably more so than this Moon on a Rainbow Shore. Her play is one that we could look at to actually engage ourselves in that debate ab about migration about staying or about, about leaving, because the character's voice, the kind of contrary opinions, I think, in a much stronger way, even than, than those that I've identified in Errol John's play. Um, so just a few quotes from the, from the play, just to kind of illustrate that. So one of the characters says, some of these people think that this island is the centre of the universe. 
imagine. They don't think that there's anything beyond that horizon. I want more than that, much more. Um, you think that I'm in love with this rotted place? This place too slow and back a wall for me. Only time I'm, I'm really happy here is when I'm drunk. So there's the, the, the two characters that really want to move have this kind of sense of the yard as a, as a very, very limiting, sp limited space. But what Pinnock is quite uh, clever, I think, in critiquing is, is also that kind of thing of, OK, what happens when you, when you go to England? What, ha what happens when you get there? Um, and the place called A Hero's Welcome, and the, the key main character, ma main male character, although he's not the main character in the play, is a character called Len. And Len is someone who has left the island. So he has left the island, he's gone to England, um, and he's returned to the island. He's returned with a limp, and he's welcomed, and he's treated like a, as, a, as a hero returning from war. Okay, so similar again to the celebrations, the, the World War II backdrop that we see in Errol John's play. Um, the young character in Winston Pinnock's play is a character called Charlie, who is playing war games, military, militarily marching, marching around his yard. There's a kind of sense that, you know, the war is done. How will this island now progress with people that have left and returned to it? But what um, happens in the play is that it emerges that, that Len was not treated very well when he came to England. And I think that's where Pinnock's play is quite interesting when compared to A Moon on a Rainbow Shore. So when we get to the end of A Moon on a Rainbow, Rainbow Shore, it's that moment at which uh, Ephraim is leaving. And the ending is quite bleak, right? There's a kind of sense that he's leaving, he's leaving Rosa to bring up their baby alone. Um, she may have the help of the extended family or the extended friends and family that was kind of quite typical in the Caribbean of the other yard residents helping her. But there's a kind of bleak ending there. But what Pinnock does in her play is she, she has a moment in which the character kind of reflects specifically on what it meant to go, to go to England. And it transpires, in fact, that he didn't acquire his injury in the war um, because... He, he wasn't conscripted up to the war, but actually that he, had his, he got his injury through working in an ammunition factory. So that kind of sense that you're going somewhere for a better experience was unfulfilled for that character. And it kind of suggests that migration um, also brought with it disappointment and it also brought with it uh, limitations. Um, so Pinnock's play kind of splits between the simplicity of the yard, the simplicity of the West Indian ways, characters who are using obia, obia or witchcraft, some people might call it, compared to taking on Western values. Um, and Len kind of represents this ambivalence, if you like, because on the one hand, he thinks that the people that have stayed are primitive, undeveloped, and so on. But at the same time, his experiences in England have left him quite disillusioned about what it might mean to leave the yard. And the play returns again and again and again to the idea of people leaving or trying to escape. There's a, one of the characters in there who's constantly running away, for example, going out into the gully, going out into the bush, trying to get a sense of the freedom. Um, but at the same time... Um, the limits are kind of symbolised at various points. So Len's limp, for example, um, meaning that he's kind of hindered from being able to, um, to leave, to run, to move, etc. And it's, uh, the play, Pinnock's play, has very similar speeches, I think, to Errol John's yard play. And actually, rereading them both in parallel... Uh, as I was preparing this talk, really, really identifies how she literally retransposed his play um, from, a, from a new perspective. So Len says, that's what's wrong with this place. Everybody wants to go somewhere else. Everybody running away without knowing that everything they want, they can find here, right on this island. And so he kind of echoes 
Sophia's sense of actually we need to stay we need to stay here we need to build up what we've got here rather than leave um, so like Sophia he says it's our responsibility to change things we can't put our faith in what we can't see or touch not in God not in voodoo not in America or England look it's like those people who say that they leave in the island because they got the promise of a life a luxury and glamour somewhere else it's just an illusion a way of running away from the real job in hand our place is here in the here and now because that is our duty to stay and build a better world and I think that that speech really really taps in for me taps into that kind of that conundrum um, of migration where it might seem uh, limiting to stay but it's also a risk to leave and um, leaving for some people and for some people in both of these plays actually is kind of represented as a, a kind of a kind of greed, if you like, a, a desire for a life that that we've kind of bought into, that we've bought into through the kind of the, the, the history of colonialism, the exposure to other cultures um, as part of the the war effort and so on. And I guess it kind of for me, I started kind of talking about my parents and. I suppose I, I often wonder what, again, what, what I would sound like. I can't do the Caribbean accent. What would I sound like if, if I, my parents had stayed? What kind of life would I, would I have had? Um, what is gained and what is lost uh, through migration? And I think that these plays, Moon on a Rainbow Shore and uh, A Hero's Welcome, can, can really, really help us to open up dialogue about that and for the current generation so the third generation so my children if you like um, who are two generations removed from those stories of migration I think the the revival of this play and productions hopefully Pinnock's play will be revived as well soon productions of plays about that first generation experience are really 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 um, quite important for for us in order to kind of tap into that that history, if you like, and to tap into the emotions of of those people at the time, albeit fictional, but it's one that kind of enables us to kind of open up a discussion about migration, such a topical subject at the moment in all sorts of in all sorts of ways, and that actually going back to these plays, going back to that post-war moment, thinking about what drove the, those particular people to 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 leave or to want to leave, and therefore how we might map that onto more, more contemporary or more current migration, I think is a, is a good thing. The Yard play itself was a, was a kind of short-lived genre. I think it's quite significant that Pinnock decided to revive it, because as a genre, it was very, very, very um, short-lived, because the, the form was thought to be too dated and too narrow in its focus to, to be sustainable. And once the migrants started to move out of the islands, their horizons broadened. So, and the, the plays became much more kind of cosmopolitan in their outlook. And I think have then led to the, the generations of plays that, that I've been writing about most recently. Um, I think that's all I want to say. I guess it's just, just to kind of wrap up, it's just to think about the ways that the, the plays kind of tap into a particular historical moment and to think about that, how we might then use their revivals as a way of discussing contemporary migration. I think that's all I want to say. Thank you very much. That's okay, I skipped loads. Yes. But, uh, I must say that it was a treat to get back. 
Yes. The inheritors were flabbergasted, sitting in these little vessels underneath the balcony, near the big one. Mm -hmm. They're all sick of Peter and I watching. Look back at it vividly and remember the feeling of approaching that beach with this damn red gun pointing at the left just waiting to go off. And, uh, this is the other thing of the yard plays as well, because I <clears throat> it's really, really occurring to me. I'm aware there's a question there. Yeah. Um, it's really, really occurring to me that these voices will be lost um, soon. I mean, my parents are seven, mid seventies already, and these these are stories that haven't been written down. And in a way, I kind of thank Errol John for this one play actually um, that, 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 that taps us into experiences that we would otherwise not be able to access. So, so you had a question on Two things. First of all, on the slide that you're showing us, it said the University of Southern Florida. Yeah. Is that in Gainesville? I have no idea. It was, I, I actually, what does it say? I can't read it. But it was their production of Moon and a Rainbow Shore about, no, about eight years ago. If you Google Moon and a Rainbow Shore image search, it will come up and then you could find the it. The other thing I wanted to ask you is, um, I don't know how old your children are, but have they been to see this place? I don't have children, actually. I said my children, then I realised I don't have any. Oh, right, okay. <laughs> um, no, I don't know that they... Yeah, I, I don't know that they have, actually. Sort of primary school or early... Secondary school child would make him come to see something like this. It would my, grandson, my grandson saw it in London. And it was, you know, in Ethics race, so it was very interesting for him. Because, yeah. you know, he, he had very little contact in yeah. a sense, mm. except for his, his other grand, mm. you know, with, with those experiences. Mm. So it was very interesting for him. Yeah. And so it's all it, of this. I mean, it's just a continuation, really, because. Like when the Victorian Empire came, many children in this country went to fulfil their dreams mm. in the British Empire, and now it's coming back to the motherland. Um, I think it's a very interesting change of pose, really. Mm. I think we have a question first. The gentleman here, do you? No, 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 okay. My experience actually has been as a parish priest in Britain okay. uh, in the city of Bristol and then Birmingham. Mm. Um, most of the people I met are your, well, no, not most, but your, you, your generation, your parents' generation. And you talked about your stepfather going back to Jamaica and the mansions there. And I've been there and I've seen that. But I've also seen that, in fact, sometimes that is a an equally disappointed dream and I've known some who've come back from that because what future there is is no longer mm. here at that age mm. and one or two one two in Jamaica who suffered a lot because mm. there's a jealousy there no that's fine and also one or two have taken a drink there just mm. as they might have done had they ever gone mm. away so that's one thing that might be worth exploring, I'd be interested, you said you were going to say a bit more about what you portrayed as a choice mm. for young black males in this country. And I'd be interested to hear a bit more from your perspective mm. on that, particularly about sort of um, family here, mm. where the constraints on, with almost constraints of space, there isn't, in this country, in this climate, a yard on the whole to lime in. Mm. Well, that's why so many of the plays now, the con very contemporary plays, the yard is actually now the council estate. Yeah. So that's what's reproduced in a lot of plays that are about the current, the current generation of young black Londoners. So they, lots of the plays are still in outdoor spaces. I think that's something quite interesting in terms of uh, black British playwriting generally. Is that a lot of the play, very few of the plays are in interior in domestic settings, they're often in outdoor spaces, and a lot of the plays now are just are in council estates, so the council estates represent the place where they can hang around with the graffitied walls and the basketball court, and so almost the yard, um, but at, at a sort of in a, on a much larger, much larger scale. I'd just like to take up a point to gentlemen's mention, somebody, 
So he's gone back to Jamaica, this is in Jamaica, and he came here in the 50s, worked hard, was very successful, gone back, made a large house, and he just completed it, came back to see family here, only, only arrived for two days to have a telephone call to say he'd been robbed. But when he went back, all the things he worked for, his television, and all his accoutrements of the Western life are gone, and now he feels very deflated. And this question of jealousy of people mm. who are left behind, wanting things that he's worked hard mm. for, it's creating quite a problem in mm. his area of the island. Well, there's a real gap in, I mean, I had, I had more in the talk, there's a real gap in, in wealth between yes. those that have left yes. and, and are kind of claiming a UK pension, if you like, and, and have gone back versus those who have stayed. When I was in Jamaica in 2007, it was in there, a, a tiler was tiling my dad's floor and he worked for four days, morning until evening, and he was paid the equivalent of about £120. Four days, morning till evening, heavy labour, shifting cement, tiling a complete ground floor of about £150. That gap... And that's really where the plays are kind of tapping into that thing. Is should, should we really be leaving or should we be staying and building up our island, building up our home? And when we go back, having left, so my parents go back, they're English. They've been should here since they were 19, our, British. Should we exploit our, your own people? Really, should we pay a higher rate of interest? Well, that's the fee though, isn't it? I, that's why I did raise it at the time. That's so been recorded. You were talking about that feeling of compulsion that you had mm. to go. And I was thinking about the gentleman in your comments about Tuesday. When men and women have been through those sorts of experiences, mm. then suddenly going back to a tiny, mm. constrained experience must be very hard because we. We saw that in the UK anyway, didn't we? Quite apart from, you know, in the colonies as they were then. People wanting something wider and broader than they mm. experienced before World War II. I don't know whether any of you have got any thoughts on that. <laughs> you, I mean, you... you no, you no, do. Go ahead. Did you? Well, all I can remember really is going across in a medium way with a rocket ship mm. with uh, about 40 royal marines in a little boat underneath the bow, or crossing and going to the mm. think what kind of chaps they were. Because <laughs> they, they landed that we did. Yes. But all those, uh, you know, after those sorts of experiences, mm. just be so constrained. Mm. That's what Len picks up on in the Winston Pink's play, which is a great play actually. It's published in a book called Six Plays by Black and Asian Women Writers. And it's a, a, a wide range of plays, but it's a, a great play for kind of thinking about um, someone who's left and been exposed to things <clears throat> and now, re- now has returned. And actually his, his decision in the play is that he, he doesn't want to leave. He wants to stay and, and help the island. He wants to make the island better rather than going somewhere else and and, um, and becoming a different person. So. I think future plays could be on this very topic mm. of people returning to people. Returnees, yeah. The difficulties that they face mm. integrating into the society that's left behind. Mm. I think mean, that would be a very good topic for mm. play and it would also reveal a lot of difficulties mm. I think, between mm. two sets of people. Mm. Between those who stayed and those who, and those who yes. left, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that kind of sense that those who left must be affluent. Relatively, they are to the people who stayed, but relatively to real affluence, most of them aren't. If that makes sense, it's kind of ordinary. Well, it happens in our own society, doesn't it? Mm. You don't have to be black for that to happen. It can be British people going abroad and coming home. Um, I've experienced that as well. Mm. So that you, you know, you change. Mm. It basically mm. is a change in how you, you view the world, isn't it? Mm. And, and, and there's also something, again, something that was in the talk, but I skipped lots of it because I just started talking without looking at my notes. But um, that kind of thing of people who can't, who, who are, what's the word? So my cousins, for example, who have never left 
the island and myself, we're like the same family, but we're completely different people. And it's very, very difficult to communicate with, with them, if that makes sense. Um, because the opportunities that myself and my sister have had here are opportunities that they haven't had necessarily in the Caribbean. And I think that's something that I, it kind of saddens me, that kind of sense of, wow, you can't communicate with your own generation of, of family because they're there and you're, and you're, you're here. Um, that's 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 something that's quite interesting. There was another player here in Bath. I, I saw Munar Rainbow Short mm. with the mature Lenny Henry. I can't remember Fences. his title now. Oh yeah, that's the August Wilson. Yeah, that's a yard play. Yes, exactly. Effectively, yeah. Yeah. Yes, we got the preview here in Bath yeah. with Lenny Henry before it went up to London. So that was good. Yeah, effectively, that's a yard play, and a lot of, I think I did say, a lot of August Wilson's plays are. Oh, that's awesome. and that's the American that's, And they're the kind of, the plays that are about American, they're often about migration as well, about whether we should migrate, is it to the north? I'm not that, I'm not that in favour of American history, but they're often about, you know, we need to leave this, this condition in order to achieve more, in order to get more, in order to gain more, so... Um, yeah, but fences is, is is a yard play. It's not a Caribbean yard play, but it's a yard play. Yeah, mm. which raises the question about an island, doesn't it? You can take that on different scales. Uh, the Caribbean islands, mm. Jamaica, Big Island, mm-hmm. and, <laughs> and all the rest, small islands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and England, an even smaller island than yeah. many places that. Uh... Mm. <laughs> but then the next generation down. Mm-hmm. The third generation. Even the second generation, we have very, very little to. I mean, we, when we go to the Caribbean, or when I go, I'm a tourist, and people will see me from a way away, and they will know that I'm not just a tourist, but an English tourist, and so and they know the difference between the English tourist and the American tourist, the Yankee dollar, yeah. the, the English pound, yeah. Um, yeah. and and you know, and actually some of the so some of the returnees. Are, they're distinguishable from the people who haven't left because of the rhythm, the way that they occupy space, the way they move through space. So there's lots of kind of differences, I think, now in these in these islands with the various generations, but also the various experiences of people. Do you think any of the third generation now are interested in going finding out? Who knows. I think our generation were much more because we were we were people that kind of experienced that kind of dual identity. So one kind of experience in the home and a, and a different kind of experience outside of the home. We were also a generation that grew up with. So like my parents have still got very strong Barbadian accents, um, and so we grew up kind of hearing that. We grew up eating the foods that they cooked. That that whereas the next generation, I don't know, because their parents sound like them. Yeah. In, in, in just on a really basic level, your parents sound like you. That means that you don't. That the difference isn't as apparent. Whereas for me, there's always that sense of oh, but they sound different, so there's a difference. You know, if that makes sense. English girl <laughs> is what they say. And they probably know more about you. They probably know all about your yeah. family. From before, more about your family yeah. than you do, because it's a memory. Exactly, and oral history, I think, is. is I mean, I, I've not done a lot of research on Caribbean plays yet, but actually, preparing this talk has made me think that actually, this is the, the kind of oral histories that that, that, that that kind of exist in the world, and that there needs to be more research, I think, done on on those plays and on those experiences, actually. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. And do, do look up the plays. I mean, get on Google where you can see lots and lots of kind of pictures and reviews of, of uh, particularly Moon on a Rainbow Shore, the Tallow production, but also other, other productions of it as well.